Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. This episode of the Bear Stock Underground is brought to you by PointsBet. Guys, it's finally here. Sports Drink and PointsBet have partnered up to bring you the world's greatest BTU-themed threads for the Bears season. Just imagine the blue and orange confetti cascading down from the rafters of State Farm Stadium while you're donning the greatest t-shirt known to man, a Bears Talk Underground t-shirt. And it's very simple. You got to go to sportsdrink.org slash shirts, fill out the quick Google form, register for your PointsBet account, and deposit at least $10. That's all it's going to cost you. You want to get your hands on this T-shirt, and then finally you upload your proof of deposit uh, as well. Once you submit, our beautiful friends will have your shirt out the door and on the way to you. And once again, that is sportsdrink.org slash shirts. Once again, sportsdrink.org slash shirts. Guys, I'm in my 16th season doing this show. It's the first time I've had a shirt available for my podcast. I'm so proud to finally have one, and I want you to have it. So follow the steps and get yourself your very own Bearstock Underground t-shirt today. And thank you to PointsBet for partnering up with Sports Drink, and thanks to PointsBet for sponsoring the podcast. <laughs> What's up, guys? Happy Black Friday. Uh, sorry for the, uh, the, the slightly late uh, episode drop. Um, I was uh, on my own for Thanksgiving this year, so uh, I had to play all the roles. I was the, I was the cook. I was the cleaner. I was the guest and I was the host all at the same time, uh, for the food that I was cooking, the food I was eating, the games I was watching. And before I knew it, it was like one in the morning and I hadn't even gotten started on the show yet. And, uh, I was exhausted. So I just went to bed, got up a little early here. It's about five to eight in the morning, uh, on Friday. And we're attacking this thing so I can get it out, uh, for you guys. So, uh, yeah, it's the the biggest shopping day of the year, the day after Thanksgiving, which I will not be participating in. Maybe I'll try to see if I can get something on Amazon or something like that, but going out uh, amongst the masses on this day, suicide. So I'm not doing it. So I got plenty of time to get this done today, so uh, we'll go ahead and, and get it cranked out and uh, get ready for the Bears-Jets uh, on Sunday. Uh, last night was uh, was fun with the games. Um, all three of them were pretty good. You know, the the, the Bills and the, and the Lions coming down to the wire, looking for a minute there, like the Lions are going to pull this thing off. Uh, Dallas pulling away from the, the Giants at the last minute, and then, you know, the back and forth of Minnesota uh, and New England. A lot of good football being played uh, last night. So maybe there's going to be some good college games on today and tomorrow to get me primed for – what could be an absolute massacre between the Bears and the Jets on Sunday because of our offensive line against their defensive line. So could be pretty grim. But uh, later on in the show, Rivka Board from Jets Factor, uh, Jets X Factor, excuse me, will be uh, joining us to preview 
uh, Bears Jets uh, fill us in on uh, you know the Zach Wilson situation and how he got we got benched. I talked to Rivka on Wednesday afternoon, and uh, it was like the news was about two hours old when we uh, when we were recording uh, the interview. The the Jets made the announcement at like noon, uh, and I was talking to Rivka at about two in the afternoon. So um, still fresh uh, on everybody, including the Jets fan I was talking to. Um, some interesting stuff uh, coming out of that. Uh, as well. So let's go ahead and get started. This is the week 12 preview episode of the Bears Talk Underground. So let's get to it. News and notes is going to be very injury report centric because that's pretty much all that's going on with the Bears uh, right now. I mean, obviously, so, you know, Justin Fields uh, in his shoulder situation uh, it was revealed on, I believe, Monday that it was, uh, I mean, there was actually a lot of conflicting rumors. He dislocated it. He didn't dislocate it. It's separated. It's an AC joint. It's this, it's that. And then finally on Wednesday when when Justin got in front of the uh, media, Mr. Transparent said it's a, uh, it's a separation with partially torn ligaments, which, of course, automatically knee-jerk for me was like, Okay, you're done. You're, I'm not saying done for the season, but you're not playing this week, not against those animals uh, with the Jets. I don't want you anywhere near those guys. So, I mean, not that it's going to be much easier against the Packers next Sunday, but I would rather have you, like, if you, if you have to play, because Fields is such a competitor, everything is going according to plan as far as, like, if Fields is ready, he's going to play. And that's the, honestly, right here, right now, it's the last thing I want to hear. I do not want Justin Fields out there, uh, you know, so fresh off the injury, going up against a defensive unit that specializes in getting home with four and possibly, you know, making it worse to the point where, like, you know, right now partially torn ligaments, all right, maybe, maybe minor surgery, maybe rehabilitation, but, uh, you know, kind of like think about like uh, Jim McMahon back in 86. He was playing on a bad shoulder all season long, uh, you know, and then the uh, then that defender from the the Packers grabs him around the waist, spikes him into the turf on that bad shoulder, done for the year, and like missed big chunks of '87 following that uh, as well. You know, with with everyone so optimistic about what could happen next year in 2023, the last thing I want is to have that derailed because Justin had to play in this meaningless game against the Jets. I don't want to see it. I mean, if if I mean, I wouldn't I wouldn't like it, but I wouldn't I wouldn't fault them for shutting him down for the year. I honestly wouldn't. We've seen the progress. Now we just gotta. We know what we need to do. We need to shore up that offensive line to protect him. Maybe get him another weapon uh, or two in the receiving game. Maybe somebody out of the backfield. We'll talk about that here uh, in just a minute. You know, and, and build that defense so that we have a more solid foundation in getting the ball back into our offense's hands. And we have currently eight draft picks and a hundred plus million in cap space to accomplish that. So I, I, I would, I would err on the side of caution. We're, we're thinking about the future here. 2022 is done. Even though the bears are like on the outside fringe, they're not completely done yet. As far as the playoff race is concerned, because the NFC is such a weak conference this year. It's not worth it. It really is not worth it. So I, um, I would err on the side of caution 
uh, and, and, and shut them down. The partially torn ligaments was the thing that put it over the top uh, for me. But uh, that's my, my great fear. You know, if, if he does play uh, on Sunday, he gets caught up. He gets another one of those cheap shots that everyone keeps, you know, smacking him in uh, in his you know, upper body with when he tries to slide and give himself up. And that's all she wrote, not just for this year, but for a chunk of next year because he has to have surgery where they basically need to rebuild his goddamn shoulder. So I'm not okay with that. But, um, you know, they say if he can go, he's going to go. I'm not a fan. You know, obviously I'd love to see him play, but uh, the, the, the price here would be, would be too big in my opinion. So speaking of being done for the year, we found out on Wednesday Lucas Patrick will not be returning from IR. He, he's finished his four-week stint on injured reserve. He was eligible to come back this week for week 12. Instead, it was revealed uh, by Coach Eberflus that he'd had surgery on that bad toe or on his foot, you know, whichever, uh, about two weeks into his uh, stint, and he's done for the year. He is not coming back. So here we were holding out hope with Tevin Jenkins coming back. Riley Reef is playing much better than, than Larry Borum is. Braxton Jones is doing his thing. Cody White here there. We pluck Lucas Patrick into the middle of that, and we've got our best offensive line configuration of the season. We can, you know, put Sam Mustafer out to pasture. Instead, he's our guy for the rest of the year, whether we like it or not. So, um, yeah, unfortunate uh, news uh, on that one. And 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 his his future with the team is actually in – in jeopardy you know he he struggled at times he was better at right guard than he was at left guard when he was playing for for Cody Whitehair after he got hurt in the Giants game and then he made it through what maybe half of the first quarter before he went down with the toe injury and now he's done for the year so yeah I mean and he's not an expensive uh free agent he's like two years four million that's a that's a cap hit Ryan Poles uh would probably easily take to send him out after we, you know, draft or, or sign, um, you know, a, a replacement in free agency or in the draft. So unfortunate news uh, for Lucas Patrick, for the Bears, for our offensive line. Yeah, last thing I wanted to hear, was, especially this week going up against this, uh, this defensive line, the last thing I wanted to hear was the guy best suited for the center position isn't going to play the spot until 2023, maybe. So bad news. Uh, there. Um, real quick, uh, before we get into the full injury report, uh, one of the bigger stories coming out this week uh, with uh, you know Zach Wilson was his. I don't want to say refusal to take accountability, but it's that's basically how it came off. Was on Sunday after the game against the Patriots, uh, f- beat writers and such asked him. If he felt like he left his defense, he let let his defense down. Seventy-seven yards passing, you know, through some. Um, he just was he was tor- horrible in that game. His defense only gave up three points. The touchdown in the game was on special teams, literally in the last few seconds of the game. So the defense put him in an excellent spot to win, and they, six points wins the game. You know, they held the Patriots to three points, just like the Patriots held them uh, to three. And his his answer was no. I don't think I let my defense down. Versus the other news was um, Justin Fields scoring major points in the locker room 
after the Falcons game apologizing to the defense for letting them down, you know, saying that you guys gave us a chance at the end of the game and we didn't come through. That's on me. I apologize. I'm going to work. I'm going to work harder, you know, to be better. And, you know, so something like that doesn't happen again. Uh, and it's, it's also rumored that, uh, you know, guys like Eddie Jackson and such basically shut all that noise down uh, as far as like, yeah, don't, don't, uh, don't apologize to us, bro. It's like, we're on a four game streak where we're giving up more than 30 points a game every game. And, you know, it's like, it's not on you, man. We'll, uh, it's, this is a team thing and we'll just keep working hard together and, and, and improve. Uh, it even angered Alan Williams, not so much in like the, the disrespect or, or anything like that, but the, the, the fact that he felt the need to apologize at all. Alan Williams was like, this, this kid has been nothing but amazing for us, especially in the last four or five weeks and he's apologizing to the defense that he let them down it's like no that's not uh, how that works so just the juxtaposition two guys drafted in the 2021 draft quarterbacks leading their team one being one showing the prime example uh, of what to do in order to get the team to rally around you and the other one showing you exactly what not to do uh, in a situation uh, like that so um, you know Wilson got benched on on uh, that that was Sunday night. Wilson got benched on on Wednesday, and, and when you hear Rivka and I talk here in a few minutes, uh, she'll mention it was like the the, the seventy two hour period from the end of the game until they announced his benching on Wednesday. R- Robert Sala went through a roller coaster of emotions. Essentially, like he spoke before Zach Wilson before the game and said that you know when when the when the reporters asked him about Zach Wilson's status. He's our quarterback. You guys know that. You know better. You're like, why do you keep asking me? You know, kind of thing. Fast forward to Monday. Now it's, I'm not committing to Zach as our starter on Sunday. Tuesday was the day off. They come back on Wednesday. Zach Wilson is benched. Mike White is our quarterback. It's like, yeesh. That's, a, that's from one extreme to the next. Like, what the hell's wrong with you guys? Why would I bench him? He's our quarterback, too. Here's our new quarterback, because that other guy was terrible. So, Crazy seventy-two hour period for the for the Jets and for Zach Wilson and the coaching staff. So, uh, wrapping things up here, uh, one more rumor before we get to the injury report. To close things out. It's it's an interesting what if to think about. Uh, it's a fun possibility to kind of play with in your mind, but I don't know if it's one worth pursuing when the time comes. And that is rumors of. I don't know if it's if if the rumor is that Saquon is interested in playing for the Bears or if the Bears are, you know, maybe having inner discussions about going after Saquon Barkley uh in free agency or 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 whatever the situation may be. But the fact of the matter is the Bears have the most cap space in the league. Saquon Barkley is going to be a free agent uh after this season and he would be an amazing addition to our offense. The big concern is Saquon gets banged up. He had that amazing rookie season uh, where he looked like the number two overall player, offensive rookie of the year, the whole nine yards. 2019, he's banged up the whole year. 2020 in Chicago. Well, 2020, actually, he had a sophomore slump kind of year. I don't remember if injuries were a factor in that. But week two, 2020, against the Bears in an empty soldier field, blows out his ACL, done for the year, and he spent... The, all of 2021, in and out of the lineup, foot foot injuries, high ankle sprains, so on and so forth. 
before having an extremely powerful and 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 uh, effective season this year, a comeback uh, you know season for the Giants. And um, you know, I don't know if the if the Giants would would spend the franchise tag on him and and thus make him kind of cost effective out of the Bears, you know, range on that one or whatever the case may be. But having him in the backfield with Justin Fields, I mean, that just that makes me warm and fuzzy all over just thinking about it. But it's like, can we trust Saquon Barkley to be the 2018 and the 2022 Saquon where he's on the field and being effective and, and making, you know, plays and doing damage to defenses and helping Justin Fields be everything that he can be? Or will it be 2020, 2021 Saquon who's basically stealing money because he's on the injury report 80% of the time? It's like that's a huge concern. And because Saquon is playing so well, he's not going to be cheap. And I know that money's not really going to be a factor for the Bears this year because they have that cap space. But, you know, you have to spend, what, 12 to $15 million a season to, to get a Saquon Barkley when we can be using that money to – you know, add depth to the secondary, you know, sign a, a defensive tackle, a three-technique guy, a pass rush, and the money could be better spent somewhere else when we can get David Montgomery cheaper and we've got Khalil Herbert uh, coming back. So, And I also, um, our good friend Eric Lambert from Sports Mockery, I saw him do one of his um, mock off-seasons where the Bears signed Tony Pollard away from the Cowboys at a fraction of what it would cost us to probably sign Saquon. And I would be all for that. I mean, if, even if it meant, uh, you know, sadly losing David Montgomery, that's a hell of a replacement. Tony Pollard's an outstanding running back. And, you know, he might not be affordable for the, for the Cowboys to bring back. So that's an interest. That's a, an intriguing one. And Tony Pollard doesn't have Saquon's injury history. So plus, 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 he's cheaper, he's healthier. And, uh, you know, let him come in. Uh, you know, and us and him getting paid won't cost as much as it would to to pay Saquon. So, yeah, I mean, but it's an interesting rumor. It's an interesting what if. It's something that would probably that basically gets every Bear fan excited just to think about it. But the the risk versus the reward, I don't know if if that makes it uh, worth it. To be completely honest with you, so fun to think about though, and I'm sure it will be a um, you know headline going into uh, free agency and whatnot. But um, I don't know. I'd have mixed feelings about it. If the Bears pulled it off and Saquon is a Bear next year or for the next five years or however the contract works out, it would be, it would be you know, cautious optimism. Like, man, that's fantastic. What a weapon we have now. But, oh, man, we really need to work on that offensive line so he's not trying to struggle and, you know, all that kind of stuff with the, you know, getting out of the backfield and he's got an injury history and all that kind of stuff. It would be a very guarded optimism throughout the season until the football season actually started and we could see that Saquon was going to be healthy for at least the first year of that contract. So, yeah. Whereas if I find out we signed Tony Pollard, I'm through the roof. That's outstanding. You know, sad that it means we don't get Montgomery back, but Gom- Montgomery would be more expensive than what Eric, uh, Eric Lambert projected. Tony Pollard is like three years, um, $19 million, So like six, $6 million a year versus – Probably going to take ten to twelve to get Montgomery to come back, so we'll see. We'll see. It's 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 de- like I said, definitely an exciting thing to think about. Fun to play with the what ifs in that situation. So, all right, wrapping it up here with the injury report. 
Uh, as of yesterday on Thursday, Jaquan Brisker, um, Kyler Gordon, and Sterling Weatherford, defensive end, linebacker, um, have not practiced yet this week. They're in concussion protocol. Hopefully that turns on a dime today uh, on Friday and we can count on them to play. Uh, speaking mainly of Brisker and uh, Gordon, I think Weatherford's just a special teams guy. But, um, you know, that'd be a big be a big hole in the secondary without those guys. But uh, Dane Crookshank, who's been nursing a hamstring injury for the last few weeks, has been full participation uh, on Thursday, on Wednesday and Thursday, so he could possibly be a you know step in for uh, Jaquan Brisker, and uh, yeah, probably a uh, Kendall Vildor stepping in for Kyler Gordon or whatever. Uh, Justin Fields has been limited so far uh, in practice with the shoulder injury, and Tevin Jenkins has been full go with the hip injury. So I'd anticipate we're going to get our our best and meanest offensive line back, offensive linemen back on Sunday uh, versus the Jets. So, yeah, looking forward to that. So, there you have it, guys. News and notes delivered to you. Let's go ahead and bring in our guest, Riv Kabord from JetsXFactor.com, to help us preview Bears Jets week number 12. Week number 12, after our beloved Chicago Bears fill their tummies with turkey and stuffing, head on out to, uh, well, New Jersey, actually, to take on the New York Jets in MetLife, their second trip out to the stadium, having played and lost to the Giants week four uh, earlier this year. And here to help us preview this very interesting all-of-a-sudden matchup between the Bears and the Jets from Jet X Factor, it's Rivka Board. Rivka, sorry, with the tongue twister there, all those consonants and stuff. Thanks so much for joining us. Welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's very nice to be here. Well, um, I gave you a heads up just before we got started, so I'm going to go ahead and ask you now. Every time we have somebody new on the show for the first time, we like to ask the same three questions, and those are, where are you from, where are you now, and what is your favorite memory as a fan of your beloved New York Jets? Okay, well, I'm from Brooklyn, New York. Um, so, yeah, New York Jets, New York. I actually live in Jersey right now, 10 minutes away from MetLife Stadium. Um, hop, skip, and a jump away. Uh, so, yeah, born, bred, Jet fan all my life. Um, my favorite memory, it's, I don't think it's really that hard for any Jet fan. I'm, I'm in my late 20s. I don't think it's that difficult for a, any fan of that age to pinpoint it. Sure. 2010 season 2011 was the actual year but um afc divisional round went into foxborough and uh beat the patriots 28 21 and that score really doesn't indicate how uh how much the jets outplay the patriots that day by far the best memory um you know everyone knows the jets the patriots playoff record yeah. at home and specifically Jets were major underdogs that year, you know, second year under Rex Ryan, coming off an AFC championship loss to the Colts the previous year. Um, and it sent them back to the AFC championship game for the second consecutive season. Uh, highlight of that game was Santonio San Holmes catching a touchdown in the corner of the end zone. 
Um, it wasn't as good as his Super Bowl catch in 2008, but it was still up there. A very, very nice catch. And yeah, favorite memory, Braylon Edwards um, doing backflipping his way into the AFC Championship There you game. go. Yeah, that's the the Bart Scott can't wait game, isn't it? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's what I that's what I remember is is Bart Scott screaming that at Sal Palantonio uh on the sidelines of uh, of the game uh to in reference to they got the Steelers next week in the AFC Championship game. Can't wait. Just right in his yes, face. Yes, yes. And like unfortunately that. last week before the Patriots game, that was that was cited a lot that uh you know and the, the, the it was memed all over the place. Yeah. That or you know, and then last week happened for the Jets. Speaking of teams that that weren't expected to get as far as they've gotten, I think that's what you guys have this year. I mean, I I I I, I loved your the draft and and the talent and everything you guys acquired. All of your picks coming within the first four rounds because of all of the uh, maneuvering that you know your general manager uh, did. The three first round picks, you know, a high second rounder with Brees Hall. Uh, and everything. He's got a lot of talent that you packed in uh, to the draft, but I don't think anyone was expecting going into your bye week at six and three, winning four, five out of your last six. I mean, it, it's been quite a, you know, crazy thing. Like I think just people, because the jets are the jets, you know, forgive me for saying, but it's just wait, when, when is that reality thing going to kick in? And then you guys won four in a row right there at, in, in, in the spot, beating some pretty good teams in the process. Yeah, so coming into the season, I think the consensus among most Jets fans and analysts was that there was a significant talent boost, but that they were one year away. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, looking at the schedule, I, I don't, you know, I don't know how much traction this got in the national media, but certainly in New York, people were very aware of uh, Brady Quinn saying before the season that the Jets could start zero and nine or one and eight. Just looking at their schedule, that was a very, you know, that, that's, that's a very common thing that people put up to say, look at, look at the Jets now. Um, but most, most fans thought that if the Jets were three and six by their bye week, that they, you know, considering that the second half of the season looked like it was a softer schedule, right. that they could finish with seven or eight wins. That, that, that was the consensus. You know, you had people maybe a little more pessimistic said six, you had a little more optimistic said nine you had to be an extreme optimist to say even, even 10 wins this season. But for the most part, it was a lot of talent, as you mentioned, um, you know, three first round picks, a high second round pick um, coming off of last year's draft, even though the, the biggest question was going to be the quarterback, the rest of the draft was actually um, a, quite a windfall in and of itself. Right. Um, Elijah Moore in the second round, um, Michael Carter, the running back in the fourth round, Michael Carter, the cornerback in the fifth round, there was some real talent added that, that so people thought this team was going to show a lot more potential and be a lot more fun to watch but the consensus was you know 2023 is really going to be the year and to be to be six and three coming out of the coming into the bye was I mean people were ecstatic thinking not just playoffs some people were thinking number one seed in the AFC um, because they were uh, really not that far away from it a win over the Patriots probably would have put them at the number number two or three seed right Right, I mean, especially to go into that bye with a win at home over Buffalo in dramatic fashion uh, as well. I mean, you guys had to be riding pretty high going into the break. Yeah, you know, it's it's interesting because when the Jets were were um, five and two heading into the first New England game, the consensus was beat New England and then we'll go into the bye six and three. Because no, no, even even people who are very optimistic really didn't see much of a chance of the Jets beating Buffalo. 
Now, then they lost to, to New England the first time around um, with Zach Wilson throwing three pretty awful picks. And the consensus was after that, oh, God, this is going to be terrible. The Jets are going to lose to Buffalo. We're going to go into the bye week. Yeah, we're 5-4. and four. And, you know, no one expected us to even be this good at the, at the bye. Right. But we've lost two in a row. We're heading into New England. You know, we've lost at, the, at that point 13 in a row to them. And, you know, and just everything was all doomsday. And then suddenly the Jets came out there and shocked everyone beating the Bills. And it was, you know, the, the confidence level going into New England really rose once more. And people really looked at it as it says, said, this team can make a serious run. If they can beat Buffalo, they can beat anyone. Yeah, I mean, your defense is is outstanding. I mean, I, I got to watch a good chunk of the uh, Green Bay game, which was enjoyable as a Bear fan to watch <laughs> you guys just kind of ram it down Green Bay's throat there. And then uh, especially in the second half with the way Brees Hall was running the football uh, in the second half, had that touchdown run at the end that kind of put it away uh, and everything. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it was old school. Defense and and running the football while you're kind of waiting for Zach Wilson to kind of have that you know come to Jesus uh, game that you're kind of still waiting for him to have. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean that that Packers game honestly was not a good game at all for Zach Wilson, but it was you know just the formula the Jets had used for most of this year to win, which was running game. You know, Brees Hall kind of really took the pressure off of Wilson because he was just an athletic freak and a you know a beast and. Uh, you know, he was doing exactly what the Jets had drafted him for, which was to just be a threat, a home run threat on, on any play. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you know, in the just in the games he played this season, he was averaging 5.8 yards per carry. Um, you know, because he just he would break, you know, he would break one, and it would seem like at least once or twice a game he would have he would have you know his last few games he had you know major plays. Yeah. Um, you know, so that yeah, but 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 the Jets defense really that's that's been their you know, their, their springboard the entire season, really, I don't say the entire season because the first few they came out a little sluggish, but mm-hmm. starting really from week four, um, you know, they've just gotten better and better. And, you know, Quinn and Williams having an all pro season this year, um, eight sacks, uh, really showing exactly why he was a number three overall pick, finally putting it all together. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the cornerbacks, obviously sauce Gardner is a big name, but DJ Reed is having just, almost as good of a year probably could also be a pro bowler really the the heart and soul of the Jets defense is their defensive line and their and their cornerbacks specifically um and they've really carried the Jets I mean even last week you look at the the game it was you know as poorly I mean the Jets gained two yards in the second half and lost 10 to three yeah yeah I, I mean I was um watching the um the condensed version like the the 11 minute mm-hmm. version that the NFL posts on, you know, for the highlights uh, and everything. And it just seemed like every other play they were sacking Mac Jones. And, yeah. Six times. Yeah. Six sacks in the game. And when they weren't sacking him, they were harassing uh, mm-hmm. him uh, and everything. And then the flip side, um, you know, it, it's amazing that, you know, they can take a three hour game and, and condense it into 11 minutes uh, of highlights. So you really got to look into it to get the context. And the context is, these teams combined for 17 punts in that game on Sunday. Ten for the Jets, seven for the uh, Patriots. It's like that is a lot of punts. I mean, when you're a, when you're a punter and you need a shower in November because you know it's cold outside, you still need a shower. That's how busy you were. That's the that's bad football being played that day. 
Or good football, yeah. depending on how you're looking at it. I mean, only a Jet fan, and a, a Jet or Patriot fan, and a lover of defense could handle that game. Sure, um, I sure. think, honest, honestly, I think the Patriots um, had mercy on um, NFL on fans who were watching. You know, not named Jet, the Jets fans. Um, you know, just for winning the game and not letting it go to the o- overtime to see some more putrid offensive football. Um, it, so, you know, but but it, it was also crazy to have that kind of game in what was a twenty to twenty five mile per hour win. So you're yeah. trying to punt, and yeah, I mean the Patriots missed two field goals in right. the game, and the wind had a tremendous impact on those kicks. Yeah, I, I was. That's what I was noticing when I was watching the highlights because you see ten to three, and the first touchdown wasn't scored until literally the last five seconds of the game uh, on the punt return. I was like, it just must have been a you know, a mess of a, you know, a defensive game, like mistakes or, you know, whatever. And then you see the highlights and it's like, oh, no, New England missed two field goals in that game. They could have easily won this thing in regulation, especially with the way the offense was going for the Jets. Six points wins them the game. So, I mean, it was uh, it was interesting watching the highlights and kind of getting a grasp of uh, how poorly things were going uh, on offense uh, for the Jets. And as a Jets fan, tell me, Blocking the back on that punt return or no? You know, look, you know, first of all, there were two blocks on the back. Um, okay. People noticed only the one that Dean Blandino um, highlighted, the one at the end. Patriots still would have had a 43-yard field goal. I'm not betting that Nick Polk would have missed the third one. But there was one right at the beginning of the play on Hardy, which actually is a testament to the fact that Hardy plays hard. Mm-hmm. He, was, he came down and he was blocked in the back right away um, when Jones caught the ball. And the return likely never would have happened if that if that had happened. But still, he was blocking the back. He was knocked down, and yet he was still down there at the what was it the ten fifteen yard line to yeah. try to make that last gas tackle on Jones. But but at the same time, I don't think unlike other games this year where Jets Jets fans have been very upset about various calls or non calls. You know, every fan base is upset at, at officiating and thinks that the officials are targeting them. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, but. You know, I don't think it really barely got any traction because people just recognized that this was all on the offense. You know, you can blame the 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 the, the punt return at the end was almost incidental to the fact that it it was just such a future game. Like no one, no one even you don't you you didn't hear a ton of talk about that compared to the discussion of just Zach Wilson. Sure, sure, and. Obviously, the breaking news of the day today is that, you know, less than two hours ago it was announced that Zach Wilson has been benched for this game. I mean, obviously he's coming off, which is saying a lot, his worst game of the season uh, against the Patriots. Because I I have up here in front of me, uh, and I'm looking at his passing totals, and his first game against the Steelers, it was 255 or 252. And then it goes down each week until... The first New England game where he threw for 355 yards somehow, and then 154 against the Bills, and then 77 on Sunday against the Patriots the second time around. I mean, did did the wind have much to do with that when you guys were going into it, or was it a crosswind that was, uh, you know, it's like, did it have, did it have, that have anything to do with with his output for the game on Sunday. Did, did the so he claimed the he game? claimed it did and his post game presser, you know, the, the 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 words that are making the headlines is that, you know, and and that's going all around Twitter is that, you know, he was asked after the game if he feels that he left let his defense down and he said no. But <laughs> beyond besides that, you know, inexcusable 
response. Oh, yeah. Um, what, oh, the other thing that he said two different times in that presser was that it was windy out there. And he mentioned, he also said, you know, the Patriots weren't either throwing it downfield. Yeah. Um, Mac Jones went 23 of 27 for 246 yards. That's 9.1 yards per attempt, Zach. So that doesn't really hold a candle. We're talking about noodle arm Mac Jones, who, you know, the biggest knock on him coming out on the draft besides his lack of general athleticism was that he just doesn't have the arm to be a top quarterback in the NFL. Right. And he averaged 9.1 yards per attempt. Yes, that was helped by really poor tackling on the Jets' part. But it, it, 9.1 yards per attempt, and Zach Wilson was at 3.5. So going into this game, where where did you sit on the whole Zach Wilson is holding the team back thing? Were, were you thinking that you know patience is the virtue, the defense is playing well, they're keeping us in games, we're running the football even though the Brees Hall is down for the season, you know, we still have uh, Michael Carter. We traded for James Robinson. We can still run the ball. We can still play defense. Zach Wilson will come along eventually. Or was it we need to get Mike White or Joe Flacco in there to see if we can open up the passing game or, or else it's going to you know, be too little too late once we finally get around to it? So prior to the Patriots, prior to last week's game, the Patriots game, I was on the train of, you know, if he could play like he did against Buffalo, you know, you said 154 passing yards, but he played, he actually played fairly well against the Bills. He was decisive. He got the ball out of his hands quickly. It was actually his, his average time to throw was 2.31 seconds, which was by far the fastest of his career. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he, he, he made the correct read. He, you know, he didn't do anything spectacular, but he did what he was asked to do. And I felt that if he could continue doing that, you know, just, you know, you say game manager, if he could continue playing like a game manager, um, you know, the, the Jets would be fine and they could, you know, afford to let him, to let him stay in and learn. After this Patriots game, you, you can't even say that anymore because right. it's not just, it's very easy to, to think, you know, the Patriots have a great defense. You know, that's why Bill Belichick, notorious for confusing young quarterbacks. And that, that's definitely true. I'm not going to deny it. Sure. Belichick have played all sorts of games with Zach Wilson's mind. I mean, he, he dropped defensive ends into coverage. He disguised his coverage constantly. He, he really did the opposite of what Wilson was expecting very often. But ultimately, you just watch, you know, I would, I would tell any fan who wants to know what's going on with Zach Wilson, go take a look at the breakdown that, breakdowns that Dan Orlovsky and Kurt Warner did of Zach Wilson's game this past week. The two of them both, and they, you know, they had slightly different takes on certain things, but the, overall, the overarching idea of what they both said was that Wilson is just reading simple plays wrong. Like, there's a, there's a, you know, you have a basic concept. This is the way quarterbacks are taught to read this play, and he's reading it the wrong way, regardless of what the defense is. He should, this is the way you read this play. And the fact that you're seeing him, his eyes just completely, he has no idea where he's looking. That's really what tells you, um, you know, just you can't continue with a quarterback like that. With everything else you know the picks and the and the sacks and everything ultimately the fact that he's just his decision making and his his processing is just not there right now and it's it's really really killing the Jets and honestly it was about to cause them it looked like it was going to cause serious problems in their locker room well and I'm I'm sure the zero accountability thing from the press conference was the straw that broke the camel's back so you know it it went from probably being like a whisper in the locker room to Somebody going to the coach and be like, "Hey, man, we gotta we gotta do something different here. We're in danger of losing the locker room if we don't do this." 
So it, it's inter- it's interesting to note that Robert Sala on his post game press conference, which was before Zach Wilson spoke, he said, you know, someone asked him if he thought about benching Zach, and Sala responded. That's the fur- furthest thing from my mind. You know, Zach's our quarterback. I've told you guys that. Then Zach gets up to the podium, says what he says. And then the next day, Sala gets up there to almost two hours late for his presser, which was very, is very uncommon for Sala. Um, and, and then he says, you know, um, I'm not committing to Zach as our quarterback. And right. now two days later, you know, Zach is benched. So the obvious conclusion from that is that Zach's presser was the straw that broke the camel's back. Right. But I, I actually don't think so. If you watch the game, if you watch the actual game, you can see that several times throughout the game, various players on the Jets threw their hands up in frustration oh, yeah. Yeah, at Zach that. Wilson, whether it was Garrett Wilson over the middle. And Garrett Wilson is a very passionate young player, and he really, you know, he really gets into it for good and for bad. Like when he makes mistakes, he's as hard on himself as anyone, but he really he expects everyone else to be as into it as he was. And when Zach, you know, just horribly missed the throw and it wasn't even necessarily to him it was just the actual throw that he made he missed badly Wilson just threw his arms up and you saw Denzel Mims do it even though Mims has no business doing it because he had a drop a really bad drop on a good throw that Wilson made earlier in the game um you saw Dwayne Brown at one point the left tackle 30 37 year old Dwayne Brown a 38 year old Dwayne Brown who's playing on a torn rotator cuff literally the guy could have just you know gone on IR sat out the season, taking his money, retired. He's right. playing out there on a torn rotator cuff. And there was one play that Wilson, if he threw it out properly, would have probably had an easy touchdown and he just he, he bailed and, and uh, threw it away. And you see Brown throw his arms up. And when you see that kind of thing, I think that Salah looked back at the film because that's, that's kind of what he said in his press or someone asked him what changed. And he said, you know, just being on the plane watching the film, he realized just how bad it was because it it's one thing to watch a game on TV and think, you know, he had no one open. He was under pressure, you know, Bill Belichick, et cetera. There were guys open in this game. There were opportunities to be had. A, a, an average quarterback performance, and you score at least 17 to 20 points in this game. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, I mean, it's, it's very interesting, you know, with, with, uh, and with Mike White coming in as the, as the starter, and, and Wilson's been, did, demoted all the way to third string like he's not even he's not even the backup Flacco is from what I understand um or what I've read online is that you know Wilson isn't even the backup he's all the way to third third string on 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 this one uh and and I saw Dan Orlovsky's breakdown showing the body language of his of Wilson's teammates throwing the hands up and you know the I think it was I think it was Wilson his hands went up and then they came down you know in frustration you know, like hands up. Well, here I am. Look at me. I'm over here. This is where the ball could have gone, and and boom, throws his hands down, uh, in in frustration, uh, and everything. It just that's for, for, especially for a guy he got benched being five and two as the as a starter. You don't see that happen every day. That uh, you know someone who's actually won more games uh, than he's lost and plays his way out of a starting spot on a team that's. Essentially, into the play of the season ended today. They're in the playoffs. No, they're actually they're actually not. They they because of tiebreakers. They oh, were, with the Bengals. They, they, That's right. They, they got lost with to the, the Bengals. Bengals and the Patriots. So they because of their all six and four because they lost the Bengals and the Patriots. This loss put the Jets in fourth place in the division on right. the outside looking in oh. of the playoffs okay. picture. Yeah. I mean, right there on the cuff, though. I mean, we still got six games, seven games 
uh, to go, you know, it's just kind of unheard of for it to happen this way. You know, it really had to be really had to be bad. And, and the coach, you know, and, and also, like you said, for, for Sala to say immediately after the game, he's our quarterback. I don't know how many times I have to tell you to 72 hours later. Yeah, he's third string and Mike White's going to start. Flacco's our backup and we're going forward from here uh, this way. You know, it, it just it had to be one one hell of a seventy two hour period for it to change so much so quickly. Yeah, I, I you know I think when it comes to Wilson, first of all, you know people say five and two. You know, you you watch those games, you watch the highlights of those games. Wilson maybe won one of those games for the Jets, the Pittsburgh, the first game where mm-hmm. he came out in the fourth quarter and played like a real franchise quarterback. That's the only time this season that he has really looked like a franchise quarterback who can lead you to anything. They beat, they beat Green Bay on the back of their defense. They beat Denver on the back of their defense. They lost to the Patriots purely because of Wilson. Um, they, you know, they, they def- okay, so against Buffalo, Wilson did help them win that game, although, again, they rushed for 171 yards in the game. Mm-hmm. So, and, and their defense held Josh Allen to 17 points and picked him off twice. So, you know, again, they, they won. I don't want to say they won in spite of Wilson in that game. They won with Wilson, not because of him, but they won with him. Sure. Um, he managed that game. But then, you know, just these let, you know, five and two also belies the fact of just how bad those two were. And yes, again, it was against Bill Belichick, but nonetheless, both games, receivers running wide open left and right, um, throws that are just, you know, screen passes that are way, you know, airmailed over the, the receiver's head. I think Salah looked back and saw, um, also Denzel Mims come wide open for a touchdown, an easy touchdown on a play that that's exactly where he should have been reading the free safety, free safety comes down, you lob it up. You don't even have to get any mustard on it. It's an easy touchdown. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just kind of those plays where like, it wasn't just, you know, it was one thing against green Bay where the Packers coverage actually did a very good job and there were, weren't that many opportunities, but in every other game this season, every single other game Wilson has played, there have been receivers open all over the place and he just he just blows it you know it, it you you can blame the offensive line and yes the Jets offensive line is decimated they were playing a third string guard and two third you know the second string tackle on one side and a third string tackle on the other side um and you can blame the running game and yes the running game didn't do the Jets any favors and you know there have been games this season where the you know specifically the two Patriots games where the running game was really stuck but that running game was stuck because they can play at the line because they're not afraid of Zach Wilson beating them. Right, exactly. They play, the, the defense that the Patriots played was was almost like it's it, you know to any other quarterback that would be downright dis- disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Like they're not afraid of being beaten deep at all. They don't care because they know they know that even if the guy is wide open, even if Wilson sees them, he's going to throw an inaccurate ball, which has happened. Hmm. Um. So the you know the just the the way. Wilson played like I, I honestly I'm fully supportive of the decision that Salah made um, I think that he did the right thing I think it was a courageous move and a um, a recognition of the fact that it, you know it's one thing when your team like last year when your team is four and 13 and you don't have talent on the roster and everyone's injured and it's just a mess to let your quarterback take his lumps in that time okay I mean although you can argue that maybe that's just such a bad place for a quarterback to develop that maybe they shouldn't be playing at all. And I actually would have made that argument unlike other, you know, despite the whole rookie contract structure. But it's another thing when your team is playing at a, you know, and you see the talent all over the roster and you see the defense is a championship caliber defense. And you see that 
They have, even without Brees Hall, that they have, they still have at wide receiver, they have weapon after weapon at tight end. I mean, Tyler Conklin could be a, could be a pro bowl candidate if, if Wilson just hit him when he was wide open sure. this season. Garrett Wilson would be a pro bowl candidate. And, th- and this really matters for a guy like, for, you know, th- this is actually given Jets fans more sympathy for Elijah Moore, who just a few weeks ago was on everyone's. You know, he was in everyone's doghouse for requesting a trade when the team was when the team was five and two. And then the next thing, the next now everyone's looking at it and saying, you know what, Wilson really is costing people money because, for example, for Garrett Wilson, a, a, a first you know a, a first round pick, their fifth year option is tied to Pro Bowl and All Pro selections. They make a lot more money if they make a Pro Bowl. Sure. Garrett Wilson would be easily in the Pro Bowl if the quarterback just got him the ball when he was open. Like wide open, yeah. So you know, there's there's just you know, at some point you have to look at it and say, is it about the one guy or is it about the rest of the team? So let me ask you: in 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 today's NFL, um, you know, and this is an NFL where you know, say a few years ago in 2018, the Cardinals um, draft a quarterback in the first round in Josh Rosen, and then a year later when they have the number one pick. Uh, brand new head coach wants to bring in his own guy. They take Kyler Murray to essentially replace Josh Rosen, who got you know less than a year as the starting quarterback. Is Zach Wilson done with the Jets? Will they be looking to move on? Maybe bring in a veteran to go along with every all the other young talent in there, or is this just a bump in the road for him? So according to Salah, this is not the end of the road for him. I mean, he he was pretty clear in his press conference today saying this is not the nail in the coffin. I do intend to start him again this year. And basically what he said is that Wilson right now, he's, he's, he just, he needs to go back to the fundamentals and kind of, you know, get his, get his footwork right. And then that they'll start him again. In my personal opinion, I don't see, you know, just with the, the horrendous footwork that we've seen from Wilson, I don't see how you can possibly fix that in enough to get it back into the, into the lineup at, for, you know, for seven remaining games. Um, and then come the off season, I'm almost certain that this move means that at the bare minimum, they're going to try to bring in a veteran to seriously push Wilson, if not outright name him the starter. Sure. You know, the, the, the Jets, you know, for better or for worse, they're good enough right now that they're not going to be able to draft, a, you know, a top quarterback. Um, is it possible that they also draft, you know, a project in the second or third round? It's possible. Um, you know, you would have to look more at their needs. The Jets do have other needs on their roster, so maybe not. It's possible, though, that they do try to do that also. But at the bare minimum, you know, and, and the guy that makes the most sense that comes to mind that actually when Wilson originally got hurt in preseason, people were clamoring for is J- Jimmy Garoppolo. Sure. who, you know, Robert Sala, Michael Floor, offensive coordinator, come from San Francisco, very familiar with Garoppolo. Garoppolo looked great on Monday Night Football. You know, again, has, you know, the 49ers competitive, even though you say what you want about Jimmy G's limitations, but he can get the ball to a receiver who's open. Yeah, and, and funny thing, the guy wins. Exactly. Yeah, I wins. mean, you can, you can give credit to Kyle Shanahan for it. You can give credit to anyone. But ultimately, Jimmy G has won. And also the thing is, the Jets run the same or very similar system to what San Francisco does. And they have maybe not quite the same level of talent, but close. I mean, you know, they have they have three to four really good receivers. Uh, you know, coming next year, Brees Hall will be back. You know, they have a, a, a running back who looked 
to be on the fringe of elite, obviously coming back from an ACL tier, you never know what they're going to look like. Sure. But even Michael Carter definitely has talent. You have, um, you know, you have two tight ends that really both of them can catch ball. You have, you have a lot on this Jets roster. There's a, there are a lot of pieces in place for Jimmy G to be able to slide right into the Jets and have similar success. Sure. So, you know, it, it's really the move that makes the most sense. Jimmy G is a free agent. He also has a no tag clause in his contract. So the 49ers couldn't franchise tag him, even if they wanted to, although I doubt they would want to, um, you know, he, he makes the most sense as a, as a, you know, an option for sure for next year, whether you see him as a stopgap or whatever it is. I, I strongly believe that that's what the Jets will do. Whether they ever give Wilson another chance, you know, that, that I can't say for sure. I'm going to guess that Joe Douglas, um, the Jets GM, is going to move on. Um, he may still be on the roster next year, Wilson, but I'm, I'm guessing that this is really going to be it. This episode of the Bears Talk Underground is brought to you by PointsBet. Guys, it's finally here. Sports Drink and PointsBet have partnered up to bring you the world's greatest BTU-themed threads for the Bears season. Just imagine the blue and orange confetti can cascading down from the rafters of State Farm Stadium while you're donning the greatest T-shirt known to man, a Bears Talk Underground T-shirt. And it's very simple. You got to go to sportsdrink.org slash shirts, fill out the quick Google form, register for your PointsBet account, and deposit at least $10. That's all it's going to cost you. You want to get your hands on this T-shirt, and then finally you upload your proof of deposit uh, as well. Once you submit, our beautiful friends will have your shirt out the door and on the way to you. And once again, that is sportsdrink.org slash shirts. Once again, sportsdrink.org slash shirts. Guys, I'm in my 16th season doing this show. It's the first time I've had a shirt available for my podcast. I'm so proud to finally have one, and I want you to have it. So follow the steps and get yourself your very own Bearstock Underground t-shirt today. And thank you to PointsBet for partnering up with Sports Drink, and thanks to PointsBet for sponsoring the podcast. <laughs> yeah, because after, after the Bears, you got a few bumpy weeks with uh, on the road at Minnesota, uh, the rematch at, at Buffalo uh, this time. Um, the Lions is a winnable game, but they are a tough out. Um, and they are, they'll, they'll fight you kick, kicking and screaming. And you got Jacksonville, Seattle on the road. That'll be tough. And then you finish at home uh, on the road uh, with Miami. So it, it does get a little bit bumpier uh, as the as the road goes along because Detroit's playing playing better football than people thought they would. Seattle is a first place team or tied for first place in the NFC West. No one thought they'd be anywhere near first place this year, and they're playing out of their minds right now. You got the rematch with Buffalo, the rematch with uh, with Miami. And Minnesota, you know, an eight, currently an eight and two football team, you know, the the back half of the schedule is uh, going to get rough after this game against the Bears. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think part of the reason why coming into the season, people thought that the second half of the season was softer was because of the Lions and Seahawks on that schedule. Sure. Obviously, you know, I know Bear, Bears fans not going to like this, but Chicago definitely was seen as a soft one. Oh, I don't Jackson- doubt that at all. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Jacksonville is Jacksonville's still seen as soft, although it's also seen as a potential draft game. But, um, you know, the... They're definitely, definitely, you know, the, with Seattle playing as well as they have, um, and Minnesota playing as well as they have, um, you know, notwithstanding their terrible loss on Sunday, right? Um, you know, the, the 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 schedule does get rough. The one thing about the Jets is they're less 
worried about teams with great offenses only because of how well their defense has played. Sure. So, for example, looking at Seattle, as and and Seattle's going to be tough, no question about it. Geno Smith is playing at a you know at a very high level this season, and I don't believe it's a fluke. At the same time, the Jets have already stopped plenty of you know several teams with significant talent at the at the you know at at the skill positions and the quarterback who's playing well. I mean, sure. most notably in Buffalo against Buffalo. So the you know the the belief that you know high same thing with the Lions, high flying offenses do not scare the Jets as much, particularly if the quarterback isn't a running quarterback, which we'll get back to with Chicago. <laughs> but, um, you know, the, the, you know the, the Jets definitely would believe, and a fan has every reason to believe, that the Jets will be able to contain those, those um, you know, those offenses. The bigger, the bigger question would be what the defenses are like, because the Jets thus far have actually, Zach Wilson has faced the toughest um, schedule in terms of passing defenses. In the entire NFL, so he's faced you know Buffalo, New England, which is right now top in the NFL in defensive DVOA, which just um, assesses a, a um, you know a different things compared to you know adjusted for opponents. So New England has the best pass defense in the NFL. Buffalo has one of the best. Denver has one of the best. You know the Jets have faced a number of tough pass defenses. Actually, coming in the second, coming in the, up in the next you know seven games, the Jets face one of the weakest pass defense gets late in the NFL, which makes it, you know, on the one hand, it's like maybe play Wilson and see how he plays against worse passing defenses. On the other hand, it's like maybe play Mike White and say, you know, against softer pass defenses, they can still make something happen with their playmates. Sure. So, you know, they're, they're, obviously the schedule doesn't look easy. Mm-hmm. Um, losing to New England was a really, really, really bad um, it was just a really bad game to lose all around, um, you know, for tiebreaker purposes, for division purposes, for yeah. everything else. Um, but, you know, these games are winnable games, you know, just, it, you know, maybe, maybe you could say Buffalo in Buffalo. And obviously, most likely they won't be missing Jordan Poyer in that game and um, Matt Milano, who were both out, you know, they're they're best linebacker, you know, one of the best coverage linebackers in the league and one of the best safeties in the league. Um, you know, but and also playing Miami with Tua Tagovailoa, they were playing the third string quarterback in that game. Those are going to be tough, no question about it. But this defense gives them a chance to win anything. It's oh, just yeah. the the biggest issue is just really the quarterback position. Yeah, I mean, it, it's been interesting that, that you know following the the Jets uh, this year because I do a, an NFL show uh, as well, so I have been kind of been you know a little bit more tuned in to the league as a whole. Uh, lately than I have been in the last few years and you know like I said everyone looking through the lens of 2021 coming into this season not expecting much from the Jets maybe something along the lines uh, of the Bears where you'll see an uptick in effort you'll see you know flashes and bright spots but ultimately you aren't going to get a lot of wins instead because the defense has come on so strong and this young infusion of talent is playing well or, or was in especially when Brees Hall was still uh, playing, you've actually turned a lot of those those games in uh, to wins, and and are you know on track right now to to make it to the playoffs if you can put something decent together in these last seven games. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 interesting to see it that way. To be fair, if you look at the first half of the Jets' schedule, several of the teams that were considered you know very tough games 
for the Jets, those teams have underachieved pretty significantly. So mm-hmm. specifically Denver and Green Bay. Yeah. Um, those were those. I mean, I looked at it before the season and said, no way are the Jets going to win those games in Denver and Green Bay. Um, you know, and I, I was one of those people who thought Denver might underachieve. I still thought that there was no way the Jets were going to beat them. Um, but both of those teams have underachieved. So that that is part of the reason that the Jets, you know, are as, you know, ended up as good as they are. I don't want to um, under, you know, undersell that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, at the same token, uh, they're, they're definitely, they're, they're not, I'm saying they, they have, they have the opportunity. This is coming on quicker than expected. And you couldn't just let the quarterback tank the season. Yeah. And, and, and with those last seven games, it's like, where do you bring Zach Wilson back? And I mean, is that up to Zach Wilson? Like, get, you know, getting his, you know, what together while he's playing third string and running the scout team uh, and everything, taking his his lumps, you know, sitting in the corner like Daddy said, or you know, is there is there a good? Because looking at these games, like maybe Detroit, Jacksonville, those are definitely winnable uh, games that he could come in and, and you know maybe do something. But it's like if if Mike White comes out and he plays well, it's like, do you mess with that at all? Yeah, so that someone actually, I think, asked, um, I think they asked Sala or LaFleur kind of about that. Like, are you going to, would you take, uh, how would you take, how can you take Mike White out if he's playing well? I think, I think the question was deflected, if I recall correctly, with some generic pat answer. But I, I, I legitimately believe in this case that the answer is if Mike White plays well, they will not go back to Zach. Um, last year, it was interesting because when Wilson got hurt and Mike White had a great game against Cincinnati, um, you know, and the Jets upset the Bengals. Everyone was saying, you know, leave White in, quarterback controversy, things like that. And then White came back down to earth through, you know, through four picks in a game against Buffalo and everyone kind of quieted down. <laughs> I don't think that would be the case this year. I think that if White even has, you know, a strong game, um, I think they, I think they will ride him because it would kill the, the morale of the team to go right. back to Zach Wilson if they have a quarterback who's playing well. And people like Mike White. That's the thing also. In the Jets locker room, people like Mike White. People like Joe Flacco. There's a lot of evidence of that. You know, I'm not saying people don't like Zach, you know, but but it's not maybe as overtly obvious. With Mike White, they, they, they rally around him. They like the guy. And so if, he, if he's, you know, if he's playing well, even if it means he's playing well because he's dumping the ball off like he did against Cincinnati last year, that's more than Zach Wilson can say because he has not hit his open dump off two yards down the field. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's uh, an interesting scenario. So let's talk about this game uh, on Sunday. Um, right now, I think the Bears are playing chicken with Justin Fields. Um, at least I hope they're not going to employ the plan that they basically just tried to sell everybody uh, in their pressers earlier this afternoon by basically saying if Justin Fields is ready to go on Sunday, Justin Fields is going to play. Now, that would be fine if we weren't playing the Jets after they just got done running through, you know, through uh, New England to sack, uh, you know, Mac Jones six times, constantly in his face. I mean, I saw at least two or three plays where you know they stuffed third and one, three yards deep in the backfield, uh, uh, you know, kind of thing. It's like their defensive line is is monsters. And our offensive line is not, you know, especially if our main monster, Tevin Jenkins, doesn't play. We just get that much worse, you know. And now it's like our weakness is in the middle uh, of the offensive line instead of, you know, being challenged on the outside uh, edge. 
uh, and everything. It's just like I, I don't want Justin Fields going up against the Jets if he's not 100%, and he's not 100% right now. He's, he said himself, I just saw the bulletin come across on my phone, he's got, he separated his shoulder. It's an AC joint injury. It wasn't a dislocation, and, you know, those things take time to heal. And I don't want him toughing it out on a 3-8 and eight team against one of the better defensive lines we're going to face uh, all season. So I'm hoping that the Bears are just, you know, making the Jets plan and game plan for Justin Fields while we're getting Trevor Simeon ready to play a completely different kind of offense against you guys on Sunday. You know, well, I guess we're hoping for the same thing, um, albeit, you know, maybe for slightly, you know, for slightly different reasons, do want to save Fields. I just would rather even not see, uh, you know, a not 100% Justin Fields because if there's one thing the Jets do struggle with from time to time, it's running quarterbacks. They did a good job of containing Lamar Jackson in the opening week, but Josh Allen had a really good first half against them, including um, a 36-yard touchdown run where he was basically untouched. And um, we even saw in the first Jets-Patriots matchup, Mac Jones had several runs right up the middle against them um you know the jets aren't you know because of their their natural their defensive philosophy is to be very aggressive they don't always contain so well um so i would rather not see justin fields play as well as much as you know this jets uh pass rush is great if fields takes off um you know the defensive line probably won't be able to catch up to him and you know you don't have to have a fully healthy shoulder to be able to run the ball Right, but the other so, concern is that mm-hmm. we are 11 weeks into the season. The Bears haven't had their bye yet, and uh, defend, uh, defenders don't have a problem torpedoing Justin Fields when he gives himself up to slide because the refs just flat out will not call it. You know, nobody is easing up on Justin Fields when he slides, and they're just torpedo right into him. And yeah, our, you know, his teammates, you know, rush the guy and like, dude, what is your problem? They get in his face, that kind of thing. But there's no flag. And I don't want Justin Fields taking hits, even when he's given himself up and the defender, you know, pretends he can't slow down and runs right through uh, the quarterback and doesn't get the flag. But he got the hit uh, on our, on our defenseless quarterback and everything. I don't, I'm thinking 2023 and beyond. I don't really care about the rest of the season. We're three and eight. Uh, right now we've seen Justin Fields progress this season I'm not saying we shut him down for the whole year but I'm saying the next two weeks we got the Jets this week we got the Packers next week then we finally have the bye week 14 let him come back after the bye if he has to come back at all uh, this year and I certainly don't want him playing uh, against the Jets because even when he runs he's still in danger oh I I, I agree I'm not saying that I think it would be responsible to play fields. I'm just sure. saying that I, I am not necessarily the most objective when it comes to that, because I prefer to see fields not play. Also a very interesting, just nugget. Trevor Simeon actually led to, you know, it was the Jets cutting Trevor Simeon that um, led to Mike White coming to the team because they got rid of Trevor Simeon to replace him with Mike White. There you go. Um, so the Jets are very familiar with Trevor Simeon, what he can do and more importantly, what he cannot do. Yeah, so, you know, we saw him come in after Sam Darnold had when Sam Darnold got hurt, um, in in I think it was 2019. So we're not, you know, I don't think the Jets are overly concerned about Trevor Simeon. Um, they'll prepare for they'll prepare for Justin Fields and prepare for the receivers, but I don't think they would be, um, you know, too too worried about planning for uh, for Simeon. Right. Um, you yeah. know, so so as a fan, I'd rather see I'd definitely rather see Trevor Simeon 
But as a, no, as a beer fan, absolutely. I totally understand it. And what you're saying about the refs not calling it, we've seen it with the Jets and Zach Wilson, where Wilson has gotten, you know, hit in the face, all sorts of things. And places the Jets defensive players have been called for roughing the passer and for late hits. They do it to Zach Wilson. Nothing gets called. I don't, you know, with Fields, I'm a little more surprised only because he's had success more recently. And that tends to start turning the tide towards the NFL wanting to protect its, you know, its star players. And Fields has been, Certainly very exciting and, you know, and drawing a lot of attention, you know, fan attention and, you know, fantasy and all that, you know, he's certainly making the NFL a lot of revenue. You think that they'd be more careful about, about, you know, protecting him. But I, I'm, I'm assuming that defenses know this. They see that oh, which, yeah. which quarterbacks are, are defend, you know, are flagged, you know, you're flagged for, call, for hitting them and which ones are not. And if they're, if you're not flagged, they're going to keep doing it. Um, yeah. You know, again, as I said, the Jets are an aggressive defense. They, you know, Quincy Williams certainly, although he, I think he was limited in practice today, their linebacker, he is not afraid to lay a thump on anyone. C.J. Mosley, linebacker, hard hitter. Um, you know, they definitely would be going after um, Fields with the intention of separating him from his senses if they can. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in 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 in, in his rookie season. Last year, it's like you'd see people taking liberties, A, because it wasn't getting called, and B, because his teammates weren't doing anything about it. Nobody was getting in that guy's face if he hit Justin Fields or took a shot at Andy Dalton you know, last year and all that kind of stuff. Well, the mentality there has changed. Not only you know it was Tevin Jenkins or nobody that was doing it last year, and not only is it Tevin Jenkins, it's also everybody else you know, within arm's reach of the guy, you know, letting him know that that won't stand on the field, even though the referees didn't flag it. So we've, we've, we've taken care of one part of the twofold problem. Now we just need the referees to catch up. And, and when our quarterback gets blasted, when he's giving himself up, that flag has got to fly, you know, but we're still working on trying to get the, get the referees yeah. to recognize that it's, it's a, it's a long and frustrating uh, process trying to get them to, re- I mean, it happened just this past Sunday. Against the uh, the Falcons, uh, you know, last uh, one late in the third quarter, uh, Justin Fields gets uh, tangled up. He's down on a knee and then gets blasted in the face by charging linebacker. That would be roughing for almost every quarterback else in the league, except maybe Zach Wilson, of course. And and no flag, <laughs> no flag. You know, if we'd have done it to Mariota, I mean, Kyler Gordon grabbed Mariota around the ankles when he came in on a blitz, like he was he was falling down as he was coming through the line of scrimmage. So he got flagged for going low on the quarterback when all he did was kind of like lasso himself around his legs. He didn't cut him off at the knees. He literally like you know like used his uh like one leg as a you know as an axis and and kind of swung around, grabbed his other leg and to kind of bring him down. He got flagged for that. Justin Fields gets yeah. torpedoed under the chin. No flag. So yeah. I mean, so we we've we've seen a lot of that with the Jets. Also, the Jets getting called for roughing the passer. Very, you know, I think, I mean, at least as of a couple of weeks ago, the Jets had been the most flagged team in the league for roughing the passer, even though roughing, roughing those penalties are down by 50% from last year. It's, I think that around the league, it's become more of a recognition that the issue is the uneven administration of the rule. Sure. Um, you know, and, and with the late hit calls also, you see, I mean, I see them not just in, in jet games. I see them all over the place. I mean, in the first Patriot game, CJ Mosley was flagged for hitting Mac Jones when Jones was trying to turn off field for the first down and Mosley hit him with his shoulder to the shoulder to prevent him from getting a first down. <laughs> and they called it because they said Jones had given himself up. 
Like, no, he didn't. He was trying to get the first down. He was a half. He would have been. He was a half a yard short because of Mosley's hit. So these kinds of things go, do go both ways. Unfortunately, yes, as a fan, you definitely see when your quarterback is not protected. Also, the thing I would think about is that Fields, like Wilson, is not a not necessarily a huge guy, like a little bit slighter from what I could tell. And, you know, those hits really add up on that kind of guy. Um, you know, jo- one of the things about Josh Allen is as much as Bill's fans uh, keep wishing that he would just slide and not throw his body into harm's way, you know, 6'6", 237, you know, it, 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 it takes a lot more maybe to bring that down. But when you're 6'2", 220 or 6'2", 215, like, you know, I think Wilson is, and I'm pretty sure Fields is in the similar range, that, it, it, add, it adds up. We saw, you know, we saw RG3 kind of, his career get ruined by that kind of hit. And I would, you know, you would definitely hope that the refs would be more, more fair in administrating their things. Like you saw, I think it was last week on, was it Sunday night where it was one of these games where um, Justin Herbert was hit and they not only flagged the guy who hit him, they ejected him on what was a pretty tic-tac call. You know, so it what works for Justin Herbert should work for Justin Fields also, should work for Zach Wilson also. It's the quarterback is the quarterback. Right. I agree. So if if the Bears are gonna have a shot on Sunday, what what do we need to do? Regardless of who our quarterback is, what should the strategy be? How do we attack this Jets defense to kind of, you know, neutralize, contain, whatever word you want to use, that defensive line so that we can be successful doing what we try to do? Uh, so I'll tell you a few things, and I, sometimes I'm surprised that teams don't do it more often because it's really a lot of the things you saw the Patriots do in both games, but especially this past week. Um, first of all, I was looking up David Montgomery's numbers. I'm assuming he's going to be the starter once uh, um, Innocent Herbert got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking at his numbers. He averages um, – he's one of the still one of the tops in the league. Herbert was even better, but still one of the – you know, towards the top of the league in yards um, after contact for yeah. attempt. Um, the Jets, if there's one of the biggest Achilles heels of the Jets team is their tackle. So if you can get, you know, get him just one-on-one with a linebacker or a safety, um, and, you know, find a way to do that, there's a good chance he's breaking the tackle. And you, you know, we saw it with Ramondre Stevenson, although not as much in the run game this past week, you saw it more in the, in the passing game, but you get, you know, you get your running back and one-on-one and obviously it's easier said than done. Um, you know, but, but getting him one-on-one with a linebacker would definitely work out. But as I said, Ramondre Stevenson out of the backfield, the Jets statistically have not been so bad against running backs out of the backfield this year, but that's partially because teams haven't done it so often. Um, it, you know, Stevenson really hurt the Jets significantly in the first matchup. I think he had seven catches for 72 yards. He hurt them significantly by just catching the ball and making the guy miss. And the Jets tackling against New England in both games was putrid. And if you want to, if you want to do that, I would just dump it off, dump it off the running back. Um, that you know that neutralizes the pass rush and it gets your guy in space. Even the corners, as good as their corners are, the corners miss tackles too from time to time. Um, so that that would be one big feature of the game plan. Um, the second thing I would do is even you know I don't I'm not I don't remember precisely how if Simeon is mobile at all, but even non-mobile quarterbacks can run right down the middle when there's space. Mm-hmm. The Jets play more more man coverage this year than they have in the past because of their corners, specifically Sauce Gardner. They man him up. They might even man him up when they play, you know, they have a med call, man everywhere he goes where they they man him up, and even if they're playing a zone elsewhere. 
And, you know, you take advantage of that. If there's space and, you know, the Jets stunt a lot, their front four are very aggressive. Um, you let them run past you and you run up the middle. There's space. There is space there. Um, Mac Jones made them pay for it in the first game. You know, you don't expect it as much from a less mobile quarterback. So I'm, I'm going to say, take what's, take what's in front of you in that, um, in that thing. The other thing is I was looking up uh, Darnell Mooney's stats. And from what I see, he's actually pretty good with contested catches. You know, as as much as let's say Sauce Gardner is excellent at breaking up passes, and he's one of the he really is one of the best in the league at that. He has a higher force incompletion rate than any other cornerback. Um, if you can get Mooney isolated, for example, in the slot on Michael Carter, Carter's only five nine, and he's a he's a good slot corner. He really is. But you can get him isolated and try to you know throw it up there. Try to get it. Try to get him to you know even if it's a contested ball, Mooney, if he has the hands for it, you might try to do that too. All right, I like it. Get and the ball out fast. One, one, one other thing. One other thing, though. Also, uh, yeah. Cole Komet. Cole Komet. Jets. Um, I'm assuming he's. I, I was looking at it. He's. He was. He played on Sunday, right? Is he, he's good. Oh yeah, yeah. He's. All he's good. good to go. So yeah. the Jets don't cover tight ends that great because their linebackers are not that great in coverage. Um, so that's another thing. Komet, I see, has five touchdowns. Um, you know, has a nice chunk of yards this season. Yeah. Feature him. Yeah, five touchdowns in the last four weeks. Wow. So, yeah, yeah so that's pretty impressive. He didn't yeah. have any for 30 games from wow. from like the end of 2020, zero in all of 2021, and didn't have his first one in, un, until the Cowboys game, week seven, week eight, whenever that was. And then he caught two more against the Dolphins, two more against the uh, Lions before he got – he got blanked on Sunday against the Falcons as far as the, the end zone, but he made a crazy like one-handed Odell Beckham catch down the seam that set up a field goal. Uh, for us, so I mean, he's been uh, quite the contributor ever since we had our mini buy after the Thursday night game against Washington. So he's kind of had a, a, a you know second half of the season type renaissance as far as like you know he went from not having caught a touchdown pass in in thirty games to like like almost immediately jumping into like the top of the tight end rankings as far as catching touchdown passes. He went from zero to five in three weeks. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he's been, uh, he, you know, and as they always say, you know, tight end's a quarterback's best friend. So mm-hmm. we'll, uh, we'll look for Cole Komet. We'll dump it to David Montgomery out of the backfield. He's got excellent hands uh, and everything. And get the ball out fast to, to Mooney across the middle, and maybe we'll do some things uh, against this uh, Jet defense. Absolutely. Now, one of the biggest things with the Jet defense is that they're excellent in bend but don't break. They really do sure. a very good job. Like, they allow yardage between, between the 20s, but – um, they also stop. They really stop you. Um, the Jets, honestly, I think they averaged on on drives that did not start in Jets territory this season. There, you know, if you if you take out the drives that started in Jets territory and largely like in field goal range, they're averaging. You know, they give up thirteen point six points per game. Um, you know, if you you know even in the first Patriots game, they gave up the Patriots got twenty two points. Um, of those nine of them came on drives that already started in field goal range. Hmm. So. The Jets really, you know, they 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 they're very good at, you know, they'll give you they'll give you soft yardage in the middle, but they won't they'll they knuckle down in the end zone. So Komet would be important in that in that range. All right, so Mike White versus Trevor Simeon, possibly. How do you see this one going down? <laughs> you know, look, as a Jet fan, um, you know, I'm, it's always easy to be optimistic before you know from the outside looking in. You get closer to the game. I think as any fan, you get nervous that sure. things are going to go wrong. Um, Honestly, 
you know, just even with Mike White in there, I think the Jets are really just too talented for Chicago to handle. So unless Field plays and runs, you know, runs off for another 180 yards, um, I see this one going the Jets' way. I do think it'll be closer than, like, I think the line, oh, I don't know what the line is now. It opened at five and a half for the Jets. Um, I, I would, I don't know if I'm going to say the Jets are not going to cover that, but I would suspect that the game will not be a 20, you know, a 27 to 10 blowout. I, I would suspect it'll be within a touchdown. I think it all comes down to how it, how it goes down, uh, in the, in the trenches. The Bears have one of the weakest pass rushes, uh, in the NFL. If we continue to not be able to generate pressure, it doesn't matter who the quarterback is. I mean, that's why until that presser where he didn't take any accountability for his performance, thought that, you know, the Bears might be Zach Wilson's last chance because our weak pass rush would allow him the time to be able to read the field, maybe find his open receivers and, and what have you. And then on the flip side, you know, our offensive line does a really great impression of Swiss cheese when it comes to pass protection. Run blocking, we're the number one rushed offense in the entire NFL. Pass blocking, we are absolutely the worst, and it shows uh, every time. You know, the, the Falcons – had a weak pass rush going into last week's game, four sacks in the first three quarters of the ball game. So it's like we're we're and and that's a with a with a defensive line that was struggling. You guys are not struggling at all as far as creating pressure, getting to the quarterback. You guys are getting home with four. You know, it's like I could it, it, and I could I could see a blowout. I definitely could, especially if we can't. Um, we can't protect the quarterback, regardless of who it is. And if it's Trevor Simeon, probably going to throw more uh, than we're going to run, as far as the you know that goes. And uh, I don't know how that shakes out. But uh, either way, I was I was picking the Jets, even if Justin Fields plays. Like we we're just getting you know we just can't protect him. So and the, he, you can't you can't throw passes when you're on your back. Eighty percent. Oh, absolutely. So. And the other thing I'm going to point out, you said about the you know the Bears pass rush. One of the reasons that the Jets like Mike White is that he gets the ball out of his hands pretty quickly. His time to throw last season, um, his average time to throw um, on, among quarterbacks at a, at least 100 attempts was fifth fastest in the NFL at 2.52 seconds. Um, Zach Wilson average is like this one of the slowest in the leagues at like 3.2 seconds. So, which is an eternity. Uh, which yeah, I mean, for, for a quarterback. I mean, yeah. you know, they, they usually divide like 2.5 seconds as like, you know, under 2.5 seconds is considered, um, you know, really getting out the ball out of your hand very fast. Tom Brady always leads the NFL or is one of the tops and getting the ball out quickly. Tua Tagovailoa gets it out quickly. Um, Mike White last year got it out very quickly. And that's one thing the Jets need because the Jets are playing a, you know, a Red Bear offensive line, although they do have, they hope to get their guard back, Nate Herbig, this game. Max Mitchell is practicing their tackle, so you know, we don't know what it's going to be for Sunday. They just opened the three-week window to come back from injury reserve for George Stant, another tackle. Um, you know, but still, they've been playing third stringers like across the the offensive line. The only guys who stayed healthy were their center and left guard, and the left guard has been horrific, like in Tomlinson. But getting the ball out out of your hands quickly, and the Jets have you know the Jets have playmakers still. Yeah, Garrett Wilson with the ball in his hands is dynamic. Elijah Moore, as much as he hasn't done much this season. Is you know is very slippery at the ball in his hands. Braxton Berrios, um, even Michael Carter, these are guys who you you dump it off to them and they can they can take it you know twenty thirty forty yards. So that's that's just another thing to watch out for. Is besides the lack of pass rushes, that even if this may potentially be a get right game for a pass rush that's struggling, you know that the the quick release and you're just getting rid of the ball quickly might neutralize that. 
There you have it. So uh, good information, good talk. Uh, Rivka, appreciate you, uh, you know, stepping in for, uh, for Mike N- Nania, who uh, had uh, Thanksgiving obligations like most of us do. <laughs> um, but I appreciate you stepping in. Uh, where can we keep up with you uh, online to see your stuff and things like that? So you guys are you know, going to laugh, but I actually never had a Twitter account. So even though people are leaving Twitter, I've actually, I actually do not have a Twitter account. The main place that you can catch me is on JetsXFactor.com. I put out articles at least a few times a week. Um, a lot of them are you know, pretty in-depth analytics articles on the Jets and, and things like that. So you'll probably catch either from me or from Michael Nania um, something about um, the Jets' biggest advantages and disadvantages against the Bears if you want to know more about, you know, you're, you're a Bears fan, you want to know more about this, what the Jets are thinking and maybe possibly how you guys can, be, can beat us, um, come check it out. And that's, that's really where, where most of my stuff is. Yeah, I noticed that when, when Mike told me uh, about you, I started searching for you on Twitter and I was like, yeah. You can only I mean, find me a, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn pretty, is where you, pretty, I have a LinkedIn account. But yeah. Pretty unique name you got there. So it's not exactly like there's a thousand Rifka boards uh, you yeah. know, on Twitter. Yeah, you Google me, you Google me, I'll show up. Right. <laughs> but not on Twitter. But not on Twitter. Not on Twitter. It's yeah. like, well, here's her email address. Like, oh, thank God. So I can reach out to her. Yeah. Good. So, yeah. yeah, that's how we were able to uh, hook up. So I appreciate you uh, hanging out with us, and uh, good luck on Sunday. Enjoy the enjoy the holiday uh, tomorrow on Thursday. And, uh, yeah, thanks so Thank much for you. joining us. Thank you very much. Happy, have a happy Thanksgiving, and definitely, you know, best of luck to you. I hope Justin Fields doesn't get killed because he's more important to you for the long term than just for, than just for Sunday. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, best of luck on the rest of the season. Amen. Thank you. As always, I want to thank my guest, Rivka Board from Jets X Factor. X Factor. It's quite a little tongue twister. Uh, for joining us and, and stepping in for, uh, for Michael Nania, who is our regular, uh, quote unquote, Jets guy. Um, uh, had a lot of fun talking uh, to her. Great insight on, you know, the Jets and especially with the, the dramatic situation that they've had this week with their quarterback and Zach Wilson, what it could mean for the future and, and uh, all that kind of stuff. Not only to mention what it could mean for this game on uh, Sunday. Now we move on, wrapping this bad boy up, keys to the game. And I'm going to keep mentioning it until they actually do it. They did a better job of it against Atlanta, but still, when it came time to hurt the Bears, where did it happen? In the middle of the field. And I figure that's probably going to be a bigger issue this week, especially in the running game with Michael Carter um, and James Robinson coming out of the uh, backfield. Uh, with Mike White not being the as athletic uh, as Zach Wilson, probably more prone for those quick slants uh, across the middle to get the ball out of his hands and, and, and so on. So the middle of the field, which has been vulnerable for the Bears all season long, it's going to be a point of emphasis for the Jets probably as far as moving the football and therefore needs to be a point of emphasis for the Bears to protect. Because, you know, we've got decent corners. Getting beat on the outside hasn't been a thing for us. This year, hell, getting beat deep has only happened maybe what a couple of times this year. The the throw to Sammy Watkins at the end of the Packers game is like this. Really, the only one that I can think of as far as like throwing the ball forty something plus yards downfield and and them actually pulling it off. 
The Bears have not been susceptible to the big play, which means that that part of the defense is working. But the zone and protecting the middle of the field has been an utter weakness for them, and it has killed us more times than not. It's made us one of the worst third-down defenses in all uh, of the NFL. And, uh, you know, it, it's really been killing us uh, this year, especially during this, this last four-week stretch where the offense is consistently putting points uh, on the board and scoring enough uh, to win f- any football game in the NFL, except unfortunately the one they're playing in. It, it just it's happened week after week uh, since the Patriots win. So we got to protect the middle of the field. It, it should be a point of emphasis for us this week against the Jets, especially with Mike White uh, as the quarterback. And um, like I said, I'm going to keep saying it until they actually do it. Uh, number two, it's been our death knell for the last four weeks, but eliminate the outside points. The And by outside points, special teams, uh, pick six, you know, that kind of thing, it's been a murder for the Bears because the ironic thing about how the team has been playing is that each of the last four weeks, uh, the Dolphins, the, or, well, three of the last four weeks, the Dolphins, the Lions, the Falcons, especially. I mean, obviously the Cowboys, we gave up 42 on defense, and then the uh, fumble recovery scoop and score for the Cowboys made it 49. So obviously we didn't outscore what the defense, uh, you know, allowed in that one. But against Miami, the defense only allowed 28 points. Against the Lions, the defense only allowed 24 points. And against the Falcons, the defense only allowed 20. And each week it was it was the block punt on against the Dolphins. It was the pick six to Okuda against the Lions. And it was the kickoff return for Cordell Patterson against the Falcons that ended up being the deciding factor uh, in the game. If, if, if those plays don't happen in any of those games, the Bears are on a three-game winning streak. We're six and four and heavily in the discussion for the playoffs at this point. So, I mean, that's the difference right there. I mean, remember when we talked to, to Brian Miller about the Dolphins over the summer and talking about the year that they had finishing 9-8, and eight, that seven-game losing streak that they had, that there were at least three games where one play changes that from a loss to a win, and then we're talking about, you know, 9-8 uh, and eight becoming 12-5, and five, uh, you know, and them being maybe even division champs and, and things like that. And those are the games that they're winning this year. So hopefully this is a great learning experience for our team. And, and next year we figure out how to win these games. But it's, it's you know, easier, easier said than done, but still pretty easy at the same time. It's like stop giving up points on special teams and, and, and allowing pick sixes and scoops and scores. And, the, you know, the defense won't have an uphill battle trying to uh, defend against points it's got nothing to do with. So... Yeah, I would like to see the Bears eliminate what I call the outside points this Sunday uh, against the Jets. It's an offense that struggled mightily, but we'll see how they are with this new quarterback uh, at the helm. And then I know you guys are thinking, I'm forgetting about the offensive line and protecting Justin Fields or Trevor Simeon or whoever our quarterback is, and you're wrong because my third and final key is in the passing game, get the ball out quickly regardless of who the quarterback is, whether it's Fields, especially if it's Fields, but whether it's Fields or the less athletic Trevor Simeon, you don't want those, you don't want those monsters 
uh, to have, uh, the, you know, the, the full three seconds to get to you because they will get to you. So we got to get that, get that ball out. Maybe some more anticipatory throws uh, from fields, kind of throwing them to a spot and, and throwing them open as opposed to sitting back in the pocket and waiting for somebody to get Ohio State Big Ten open, uh, you know, like he, he was used to uh, in college. So he's got to have a, a quicker clock. He's got to have a faster trigger and get the ball out uh, for the good of our offense and for the good of himself. I don't want him taking hits against these guys on Sunday. And as I said at the beginning of the show, in fact, I don't want him playing at all. At the very least, not this week. Maybe you could talk me into it next week against the Packers because that's a game I want. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I still would not, would not hate it if he didn't play against, against for the rest of the year. I, I really wouldn't. So, we'll see. We'll see. So, those are the keys. Go ahead and wrap this thing up. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. Uh, guys, come back on Monday when we will review Bears-Jets to see how it went. Did Justin Fields play? Did he finish the game in one piece? Is he more? Is he worse off than he was going in to the game? Did his presence help? Did it hurt? And so on. We'll come back and answer all those questions on Monday. And until then, my name is Larry D, and this has been the Bears Talk Underground.